You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's interview, I'm sitting down with Dr. Mark Neese. Mark is currently a counselor at Bowie Elementary in Bowie, Texas. Mark has been an educator for over 25 years. He has served as a classroom teacher, behavior specialist, assistant principal, and principal. Mark also took a risk and even ran for Congress last year. Mark's true passion is helping others find the best in themselves. Now, in order to make this happen, Mark started a mentoring program. The program is focused on improving students' reading ability based on positive relationships with adults and community. Mark's passion led to some fun and interesting conversation. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am honored and blessed to have a special guest today, Mr. Mark Neese. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much. Sure appreciate it, Kevin. Look forward to it. Absolutely. And I should say Dr. Mark Neese. I apologize. Absolutely. Welcome. Congratulations on that. We'll talk a little bit about that. But hey, Mark, you know, Dr. Darst introduced us and it was just a great opportunity to I love this show because I get to connect with educators, particularly in the middle of this pandemic that I wouldn't have. And so this is kind of a, you know, a selfish platform I get to use to create a professional learning network, but also get to know people. So just like every other episode, we always talk about connect before content. So Mark, we're going to do the flip five. I'm going to ask you five questions. You ask me five questions, and then we'll get a chance to kind of know each other before we dive into today's conversation. So Mark, a real simple question for me is, hey, how do you like your eggs? (laughs) Well, (laughs) right now we've got friends that have been bringing us eggs. We've been eating uh, goose eggs lately. And so my son and I, the more I, I'm the, the scrambled egg man. I'm like the scrambled egg man of the house. And so we have duck eggs, goose eggs, and tons of, but that's kind of what we do. And I'll just like them scrambled with a little cheese on top. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it was crazy because in the pandemic, when it first hit, you know, it was like toilet paper, water, and eggs went too. So in my neighborhood, I ended up finding somebody that had duck eggs, right? And I didn't care to me, but I had never had duck eggs. I was like, holy cow, they're a little bit larger, a little bit more yolk. So for me, I'm actually an over easy guy. So for a duck egg, I got a lot more egg for my buck and she just gave them to me. But yeah, I had never had duck eggs. They were amazing. Yeah. All right. Question number two, simple question like this. When you think about growing up, did your mom ever have like a phrase or, you know, a statement that she always associated with around your mom or dad, you know, just, you know, something they always said, give you an example. When my mom woke me up from school every day, I didn't have an alarm clock mark all the way from elementary to high school. She would open up the door and it would be school time. That's what she would say to me. That was her favorite. Like I could just still hear my mom saying it, but did your mom or parents have a phrase that they use a lot? You know, my dad was in the air force and overseas a lot. And I don't recall a particular phrase but one thing that people noted was that anytime I was on the phone with her, she always says, I love you. Always. Like if, if you made a bet and I'm like, I call my mom right now, she'll say, I love you at the end. Always. 
Well, that's awesome. And I'm a little jealous. My mom didn't tell me that. So uh, no, my mom was amazing. That's interesting, Mark. In our family dynamic, we never really spoke that way. We really, really, it was not a word that we shared very often. And what was interesting in my last marriage, her mom and everybody used it all the time, much like you're referring. So I started to notice before my mom passed away that um, she started to use it a little bit more frequently. And I think it was because it was being modeled by other people. I started to hear it more later in life, but definitely a powerful statement I'd love to hear. All right. Question number three, Mark. When you listen to music, what type of music do you like to listen to? I'm pretty much, I'm very eclectic. I can listen to anything, but I always choose K-Love, like Christian music, something that's going to be good for my soul. When I'm traveling, my boy knows that's, yeah, that's where I was going to get, but I can listen to anything. We'll play this. You pick a song, I pick a song kind of thing sometimes too, but that just prepares me for the day. I have a 15 minute ride, so it's, it's a pretty good, pretty good time. Oh yeah, no, I love it. I was a DJ at one time growing up. So like you said, I learned to appreciate a variety of different music, but it's interesting for me. I'm almost the same way. If I'm not Christian, it's probably country, Christian or country, kind of a back and forth between the two. But yes, definitely Caleb is a huge factor. It's just anything positive. I need to be listening to something positive and uplifting my life. It just seems to make a whole difference in my day, my attitude and my spirit. So I can definitely resonate when you say something like that. That's something simple. All right. So Mark, when you think about getting dressed, are you a dress shoe or a dress down shoe? In other words, you like something more comfortable or do you like something more dressed up on your shoes? I rarely wear a dress shoe because of the work I do as a counselor at elementary school. I'm chasing like herding cats. So I really get to wear tennis shoes every day. <laughs> Very practical. Are they not being at the elementary? Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Just a simple last question. If somebody did have to ask you your what your favorite color would be, what would be your favorite color, Mark? I think blue. My son's favorite color is red. So we look at a lot of red stuff, but I, I like a, a, a dark blue is my favorite color. Well, if you haven't gauged by the background and the shirt I'm wearing, I'm also in the blue hue. I'm, I love blues. So blue is definitely something that also brings my spirit higher and happier. And uh, it's interesting. It's what people have told me on the show is sometimes the blue background for them makes them feel calmer. So either way, I love it. It's one of my favorite color too. So Mark, that's five simple questions. What do you got for me? How do you want to get to know me? Okay. So the first question I have is, are you a cat or a dog person and why? I am a dog person. I've only had dogs my entire life. Now, recently, Mark, I was introduced to a cat. Now, I say a cat because she was supposed to be a feral cat on our property outside, right? And then somehow she turned into an inside cat. And this is my only cat experience. Now, I have watched videos of cats and I've seen cats and how they can be, you know, a little mischievous and a little, you know, misbehaving. But I will tell you, I am a dog person 100%, but I have learned to and accept and love one cat so far, and that's this cat. And her name is literally Cat. <laughs> we literally, we had, there was two when we, when we got them from the shelter. And so we had two, there were sisters and we called them Kit and Cat. And so unfortunately, Kit disappeared being a feral cat and cat didn't. So we were left with one. So we learned literally name is cat. We spell it with a K, K-A-T. Oh, that's great. My wife would love that because she's a cat lover. We have most 
they're supposed to be outside, but about 22 cats that managed to make their way in. So we got land, we got places for them to roam, but they like to come in. And every time you open the door, there's a few. So uh, my wife will be happy to know you're, you, you've got one relationship with a good cat. Absolutely. Yes. I'm just, I'm like, wow, Mark, I think I started off good with one. You're like 22. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that, but yes. I said, we grow cats and cactus. That's about all we have on our property. It seems. Oh my God. That's awesome to know. All right. Question number so, two. Number two, you mentioned, you mentioned you got some land and like, do you hunt? And if so, what's your favorite type hunting? I like, yes. Do I hunt? Absolutely. I am more of a love being outdoors hunter. If I'm hunting, it's typically white-tailed deer, axis, you know, exotics in Texas, you know, those types of things. And usually white-tailed or axis. I mean, you know, if we see another audit or anything exotic, but at the end of the day, to me, Mark, it's really a not... Not about the hunting or it's, you know, taking the animal illegally and ethically. It's really about being outdoors. People don't get it. I can sit in a box or sitting on a chair or sit in a, sit some type of stand on the ground for multiple hours and, and just disappear. And it's just, it's, it's, it's my, ther- it's therapeutic. And so to me is there's a balance between, oh, there's something to see versus, oh, I got to take, you know, kill something or whatever. At the end of the day, I love to hunt, but I think it's probably more now at at this age, really about the outdoor experience in itself, than it really becomes more the hunting in itself. Perfect. No, I love that. So how is your final 16 bracket? How's the sweet 16 bracket going for you right now? So I will be honest, Mark, just being very transparent. I didn't make one. Not that and I think what I have realized about myself in sports and now I was a high school football coach, baseball coach, sports is my, been my entire life. I think I noticed that during the pandemic, I just really pulled away from sports. Like for me, like on my ESPN app, I just stopped looking. I don't know. It really did, like this pandemic and the way the sports seasons have just transitioned. I didn't watch as much NFL football. I didn't watch as much baseball. I didn't follow it, stuff like that. So I'll get an, an alert, you know, and see what who won. And that's how, you know, I told you about the Arkansas loss and, you know, see all that stuff. I don't know why. I'm just like not motivated to participate in the sports world, as I normally would have had bracket after bracket after bracket and, you know, been, oh my God, and, you know, broke my bracket. So being really transparent this year, I don't know what it is about. I just found myself really disconnected from sports the way I tip, the way I've always been my entire life. So I can't, I can't bust a bracket I didn't create. How's yours? Uh, well, you know, I, growing up in, in Arkansas, I was, a, I'm a Razorback fan. So it just got thrown out, but a lot of them early on got thrown away. So kind of watching right now and I, and so of course you know you want the, the team that beats you so I'm, I'm supporting Baylor at this point and being from Texas that's a good thing yeah no it, and it is that point I think sometimes you know for me I'm looking at somebody always upsets you know it, you yeah. you rarely get the one and two seed to get through you know uns, unscathed so you know it was interesting I think like when Abilene Christian beat Texas you know uh, all of a sudden you know you you've got Texas teams uh, which I love Texas when people say you know, are you an Aggie? Are you an AM? Are you a Baylor? I'm like, I, I'm from Texas. I just love anything that supports Texas sports. So one over the other, I'm just excited that we get represented, particularly at the national, you know, level when we got somebody in the final four or we're, you know, they're making a name for Texas. I think it sends a good message back to us as a state. Am I on number four? What is it? Yeah, sure. Okay. So if we ever make it down to San Antonio, where would you suggest a great place to go and eat or just go uh, to see? Well, 
I'm kind of biased because not only the Riverwalk is iconic in itself for San Antonio, but I'm also kind of biased. In fact, like I was mentioning earlier, I bartended on the Riverwalk. I think, you know, the Riverwalk in itself has so many opportunities from great restaurants, missions, churches, the Alamo. I mean, everything is downtown in that area. And so I would always say, if you really want a feel for the culture in itself, particularly from that tourist point of view, the Riverwalk is, is, is where you would go to get that experience. I think there's multiple restaurants and it's currently always, you know, in an evolution down there, but I would start at the Riverwalk to like really start to figure out and just get a sense and feel for the culture and the customs and the ideas. And then they have little riverboat tours. You can kind of see it from a different perspective and then really just pick a restaurant that really resonates with you. I think the food down there is by now is all good choices. And I think that you can really get just an idea of the center right in the heart of San Antonio, how San Antonio uh, treats its, its, its guests and its visitors. I think learning that we're such a tourist place and, and growing up here, you don't think of it that way. But then when you got on the bar, when I started bartending, you really started realizing how people flock into San Antonio and you're like, this is where I live. Like, why do y'all come here? And then you realize once you get out of it and I started traveling, so many people have told me Mark over the years, we love coming to San Antonio. We love coming to the river walk. We love that city. You know, just there's, you realize you, you start to realize your city has a lot more to offer than you, than you, than you realize and you live here. And then the last one, we haven't discussed families or children, but I have a son that's graduating high school this year, and he is unsure of what he wants to major in or where he wants to go to college. So any colleges that you would recommend for us to take a peek at? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I wish. I have one child. She just turned 30 last week. And so she graduated from UTSA like dad. So we, we, we can't escape the roadrunners. We're just here, local San Antonio. But no, I think what's crazy is I believe that as many, as many great universities that are out there, I think what I am probably more disconnected with, Mark, is what each one of them offer now. And, and the fact that I say that is because colleges and universities have created so many different pathways for the traditional student for, you know, that's may want to go to law school or med school or, you know, be, be you know, the, one of the main jobs that we've always thought about in life. But then there's so many schools out there that offer something like esports, you know, and, and so many that offer all of these different things. And so for me, I, I get overwhelmed. I think, I think right now that would be something that would overwhelm me. If I not only as a parent, but if I'm as a student, right, graduating, where do I want to go to college? Because I think college looks different than it did, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And so I think it's, it's, it's daunting. It's, is it overwhelming right now for you guys? Or is it easier to stay like use proximity or something as a choice? I think if, if he had, I have a very academic son and he is looking, he's applied to 17 schools around the country. And so we're, We've got some he's been accepted to in D.C. and Annapolis and then Southwestern. And he's looking more at smaller. But it is. It's just there's so much. And I'm like, it's like the bachelor. You only get one rose in the end. So whoever <laughs> you choose to give it to, you know, look into it well and, and follow those decisions. It's a bit overwhelming for him right now. It's not that, a specific one. That is probably the best analogy I've heard, right? It's like the bachelor, <laughs> right? It's you've got all of these schools to court. 
and only one gets your rose, right? Your get your money, they get your rose, they get your time, they get your investment, and you're hoping out just like the bachelor that you get that there's a long-term relationship that leads to something else fruitful on the other end because college is a it's such a unique experience. And so you you think about that, Mark. And so Oh, hold on, I'll just say, hey guys, that's the GTKY. We've wrapped up the get to know you. So Mark and I are be able to jump into co some conversation. So when you think about that, Mark, because you've got a son going into college and yet you work at the elementary, you know? So when you think about your elementary kids, what are, and as a counselor, what are some of the things that you work with kids at your level that you know may mold them and shape them into who they're going to be those those later years in life? What are some of those experiences and conversations that you get a chance to to participate at the elementary as a counselor? Yeah, and, and you know, I've got them at, at, at such a young age that most of my experience has been the secondary level. So this has been a great curve for me by seeing how students are, are prepared. And, and we often say, you know, we're preparing them for, for careers that have not been invented yet. And so we've really started focusing a lot on the social emotional learning, on being able to to handle yourself in a group, handle yourself with others, handle yourself in a, in situations. And, and the key for me, as I'm seeing, is, is it's such an important thing to be reading on level by third grade. I know every kid has their time where they tend to, tend to grow, but uh, particularly when state testing starts, uh, if kids aren't reading on grade level, then you know, grade level, they're like three times more likely to not graduate. And that resonates with me. It's like, wow, we're, we're trying to work with just getting the basics of that and then having to work in the social emotional. But that's the part that seems to be where kids are struggling most right now. It's just just how to handle you know a group setting because they're they're so used to electronics that now they have to you know work within a group or share things or do things. So it's it's a bit different from the elementary perspective because you do want them to have every every opportunity to pursue whatever they feel their purpose is. So I went to the high school to the elementary in 72 hours. So I was coaching varsity football on a Friday night, Mark. I knew I had gotten the assistant principal job at an elementary. Okay. So I see if you can resonate with me on this. So Friday night, they were like, at the end of the game, they were like, Hey, you can start working, working your way towards the elementary on Monday. And I was like, well, I thought we were ahead of a couple week of transition. We're in the middle of football season. They were like, no, go ahead and start. So on Monday, I started getting a full-time sub in my science classroom. I taught integrated physics, biology, and chemistry for, for almost 10 years at the high school. So now, Mark, I'm showing up, you know, in, in my dress tennis shoes. I've got a tie on. I'm assistant principal, and I'm coming into the building. So some of the things that I ran into, I walk in and, you know, tried to just get to know the kids, right? For, you know, not a whole lot of males on campus. And, you know, I'm like, good morning, everybody. And I'm trying to be passionate. And they're like, you may want to try to use your inside voice. And I was like, what the heck is an inside voice, Mark? What's the, what, like, we have an inside voice? I was like, I just thought we had one voice. Oh. I mean, they, you know, then I'd walk down the hall and I'd see, well, like, y'all walk them everywhere. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, by high school, we don't. So I'm like, so wait a minute, you will be transitioning kids everywhere in groups. Yes. Uh, okay. And then I'm like, and then what are the things when they put air in their pockets or their mouth? I'm like, that's a bubble. That's a bubble, right? And I'm like, what's the purpose of that? So it was like my education, 10 years in education, I, I went all out the water. I went to lunch, 
Mark, I went to lunch duty. Sorry, I got one more thing. I went to lunch duty. And then they were like, all right, you're going to be on lunch duty. And at first, Mark, I thought, ooh, lunch duty. Then I went, ooh, lunch duty. Okay. But then I got to lunch duty and like kids would say, can you help me up with this milk? Right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, a little, okay. And then here's a the favorite part, Mark, ketchup packets. They, it was chicken nugget day, they had ketchup packets. And you know, you got kindergartners, can you help me open up this ketchup packet? And I'm like, okay. And I go to open it, Mark, and I go to put it in my teeth. And the lady was helping, she was like, stop. And I was like, what? Like, what am I doing? And she goes, you don't use your teeth. And I said, what do you use? And she said, scissors. And then she said, yeah. he probably, he, she said, he probably already tried doing it to begin with. So I looked at it, there were some little nibble marks it was a little extra slide. Yes. So then she hands me scissors. So Mark, I told myself my entire life, I've never opened up a ketchup packet with scissors. I've used my teeth, right? So then my, all the coaches come to me, the high school coaches came to visit me, Mark, a week later. So now I've adjusted. I've got an apron on. I've got sporks. I've got napkins. I'm opening up ketchup packets with, I got a scissors with string. It's gotta be these scissors. I know, see, I see them. Mark, it's, you gotta, I gotta have a string with scissors cause you can't lose them, right? And I'm walking around and I'm using my inside voice and I'm getting down to their level and the coaches walk in and they were just like, what the heck happened to you? And I was like, hey guys, welcome to elementary. They were like, we're, we're gonna punch your man card right now. Just give me your man card. We're just gonna punch it right now. So. Any of those stories resonate with you, Mark? Absolutely. I, I started subbing uh, in education. I, I came down to go to seminary and I started subbing and and uh, I tried elementary one day and I was so exhausted. I, I never went back because it was all that. I'm like, you can't go anywhere by yourself. I'm like, no, you got, you know, and you're, uh, and so being back here, it's great. But absolutely, those fun lunchroom stories and the yogurt packs are the worst because even if you you squeeze it and if you're too strong, yes. Oh, I've made more messes than the kids have, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because I went, I, so I went to the elementary, then I went, then I was a junior high principal. So two years at the elementary as assistant principal, two years at the junior high principal. Then I went to five years as an assistant principal. But during that, when I began the fifth year going into my five years as assistant principal, I actually went back to uh, Wayland Baptist here in San Antonio. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. So I was going back for a second master's in Christian ministry. And I really thought God was guiding me there. And now he, he guided me to Ed White Middle School. And uh, now all of a sudden, I, you know, and, and I think what I learned, Mark, though, is, is I was able to take Old Testament, New Testament. I was able to take a lot of disciple classes. Before these 50 page, well, 25 page papers for each class were just exhausting me while working full time. And I never really could understand, but I really felt like God allowed me to go through those classes and that experience because then when I got into this work and I quit education and started preaching and teaching about how to build relationships with kids, like I looked at it, I'm like, okay, I could, I leaned heavily back on my disciple classes. I leaned heavily back on you know, what I was learning in scripture, because people, you know, when I struggled first coming out into this consulting world, as we call it, right, it, it seemed like I was supposed to convert people. And so what was interesting, Mark, is I think the big, you know, the big push that allowed us to really grow was when God stopped, really put on my heart, like, stop converting, stop convincing, and stop condemning. I want you to convict. 
And when I went to convicting versus anything over converting, because converting, I would get frustrated, Mark. I'm like, what do you mean relationships are not going to be important? What do you mean they're not going to work? What, do you, what, what planet are you from, right? But then I lean back and look back into some disciple classes and to be like, you know, it's just like converting to Christianity, right? You can't, what do you mean God doesn't exist? What do you mean, you know, Jesus didn't die on the cross, right? We're sitting here getting ready for Easter weekend, right? I mean, it's just, and so I just stopped heavily relying on that converting. But then I said, I don't want to convince them. And then he was like, and don't condemn them for what they're doing. It was really love them unconditionally and just convict them. And then when I took that, that heart approach to the work, bam, all of a sudden, we realize we're not here to convert you, condemn you, or, you know, we're here to convict you. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, that's a little bit of different approach. And so, I don't know, I just wanted to share that with you because I felt like my ministry work was where I thought I was going. And then God said, no, this is going to be your ministry. And I love it. I love how it's transformed into this, working with educators. And it's, it's kind of the same, you know, I came down to, to Texas, to Fort Worth to get, go to seminary and and was subbing, and and one of my biggest mentors, Dr. Debbie Tribble, I don't know if, if you know her or not from, from Birdville and HEB, but she always says, I'm going to have to answer to God because Mark quit seminary to go to be a counselor and go into education. And uh, when we talk about that, that you know, that, that, it's such a wonderful field of, of being around people and just, it just yeah, you know, she's like, that's the same thing, kind of what she said, you know, the relationship is the most vital piece of education. And if you don't grasp that, you can teach numbers or you can teach content, but if you don't get the relationship piece, uh, then we kind of miss what, what our calling is. So I, I really appreciate that. Absolutely. So, so what specifically have you experienced when you've said, okay, here's a situation. Let's say right now in the elementary kid comes in struggling socially, emotionally, whatever the deal is going on. Do you ever find yourself what I was modeling earlier, connect before you get into the conversation? You know, in other words, connect before we can take a deeper dive into what's going on. And have you ever used some strategies like that or something? Yeah, and, and normally that is because right now I know most of the kids. I mean, the, the great thing about elementary is you're going to get hugs after hugs after hugs. I mean, they, they they and being a man on campus, it's like they love seeing you. My wife has been an elementary counselor. She's retired. She actually had the job here that I'm doing that she's like, don't ever let go first, you know, because they. They often just ask that. And that's usually the first thing I ask is like, hey, can I have a hug before we get started? You can sense some of them are still angry, but some of them just, just hug and start bawling. I mean, they just need that connection before we can get to, to what the behavior is and how that can change. And, and they're learning. It's just, just like learning a skill. So you don't expect them to, to read proficiently. You know, they, they, same thing with behavior. It's a growth process. And so if we can look at it that way, Start that relationship. Absolutely. I think that's the most important thing you can work on because then you're, you're ready to, to discuss what the concerns are instead of just, you know, punishment versus discipline or discipleship is kind of the way we looked at it. Absolutely. So do, what, do you feel being at, being at both levels, secondary and elementary, I always say to me, and this is my, this is my, this is my lens the high school, the secondary level seems to be the least fertile soil to have that relationship first approach. Would you agree with that kind of statement or what's your experience? It's, it's been a bit of both and smaller town, you know, like in a smaller city where you know kids, you grow up with them. And I love, I love that. High school, it tends to be from their perspective, like I'm not interested. You get more of some of the language thrown at you and some of the attitude thrown at you that, that you don't typically at elementary school. But 
you know, I remember uh, my, my first year working, if, if kids were in a behavioral class in high school and they get kicked out and sent to DAEP, well, that was my class. So it's like, there's nowhere else for them to go. So if you can't work within the setting with students and, and I remember the experience of uh, you know, I, growing up and now even, I cannot understand the concept of having no hope. I just can't. I mean, I just have always been given to that from my parents. I've always had that. I've always experienced that in my faith until I met students who were the opposite. And it's like, wow, these kids have no idea what hope is. And so that changed kind of my heart on it to say, let's go from a hope aspect and let's give them some hope when I meet with them. I want them to leave with hope and feel that, that, there, that there's still consequences. That doesn't negate that. But there's a big difference between going into something and, and offering hope versus just offering punishment. You can offer hope or consequences, but I do see that at, at a high school level, they just kind of expect they're like, you know, they'll be like, just just give me my punishment. And I'm like, no, we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit beyond that. And so that's kind of where the relationship piece begins for me at a high school level. So I think that's well said. I, I love the frame around it, just putting the frame around hope. And so what I have run into when you had that conversation, when you just brought up that conversation and created that narrative, Mark, is a lot of administrators at times particularly feel like when we take the frame of hope in addition to possible consequences or conversations, right, that they just don't feel like they have the time. Right. You ever felt like in education, we understand a relational approach is like mandatory, it is the foundation, but then it seems like time comes in and just cracks that whole foundation apart for the fact that we're always pressed for time, whether it's a conversation, a, a finish a lesson, or account, something that's surrounding accountability. What are your perceptions when you run in and you feel time as, as an issue that pushes back Absolutely. On? And, you know, we're all under constraints. We know the state adds things and does things, but it more and more, it seems that way, that that, that seems to be taken from you, which is, you know, kind of like you have served as an administrator, but I'm, I'm back into a position where I feel like can, I can do those things that I, that I feel gifted and called to do and, and encourage the administrators that have it. Because it is, when you've got a pile of referrals, or do, it's often just come in, here's your ISS, here's your, you know, and no one's heart, I think, is that way. But because of, of the structure of it all, and we've talked about behaviors, you know, negative behaviors tend to increase. And so uh, I, I, I feel that that is everybody's issue is time, because it, it you have to kind of I'd like to spend 20 minutes talking with somebody, but I, I've got two minutes and, and it is, it's a, it's a big hurdle to get over. Well, I think you just identified the framework in what I'm referencing and you're saying the structure, right? The structure of education in itself is we're struggling in, you know, from variety and, you know, pushing as we mentioned earlier, just with your son. I mean, there are some kids that at the secondary level are not going to be prepared and do not want to pursue college as an academic route, right? To go to Brown or go to Harvard or go to Northwestern, right? They're not, that's not them. They want to do an alternative to, you know, they want to get into something more in technology or they want to create their own business or they want to do something. So I feel like sometimes in education, we, we've taken this, uh, you know, to a certain extent, archaic view of education. And we've continued to push students and teachers down this highway. And everybody's supposed to still get off the same exit ramp, you know, SAT, ACT, college prep, you know, consequences, change your behavior, you know, and it's like, the ones that seep out through the sides, we have no answers for them. 
because then they don't conform or fit into the ideological of this is what education should look like. And so I feel like sometimes, as you mentioned, the structure is where we may we have the opportunities to either restructure and it could be part of our day. It could be the the, the structure of we we're going to build our school on a rock of relationships instead of the sands of initiatives. You know we're we're gonna we're we have the time sometimes. And so some schools and some school districts, I see them restructuring in a way that's in I'm in awe. In other words, I'm like wow, like they are really progressive to to a good extent is like they're meeting there's teachers needs they're they're update they're identifying like we were the first ones to identify that 56 percent of our kids were two or more grade levels behind in reading mark and you're talking about that at the third grade we were in seventh grade right so like when schools start doing these things and they start rebuilding structures around this to help their community of, of educators be successful i feel like then they have then they're restructuring education. But if they just take the same old pathway, you know, the same old thing, we're living at like the definition of, ins of insanity, right? We're, we're doing the same thing over and over, but we're expecting a different result. Like you're expecting, Mark, as you said, a teacher sends a kid to you, whether whatever role you've been in, and haven't you had that experience where then they expect the kid to come back out of your office? Like, oh, you know, like I will never use profanity nor act out again. I like the phrase, well, that didn't help him. Like, that didn't work. I'm like, it's kind of like my diet. It doesn't work in a day, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to fix it all in one. Yeah. yeah, I always gave them the analogy of like, it wasn't in automotive, like cars, but I said, it's like a car that's not running well, and they kick it down to our office, Mark, like we're the service department, right? Like, they, like a, a kid, you could we, we can drain the bad fluid out and we can put good fluid in and we can put new tires on it, you know, and kick it back to class. And it's it's running appropriately. And they're like, thank you. I'm like, we, we, we don't fix cars. We don't fix, we don't fix kids, right? And what's funny is, is our version of fixing them is loving them, giving them a hug, talking through them. Just getting to know them, what's what, what it's what's the root issue, you know, finding out why they acted the way they did. Then you find out the root cause and you realize it wasn't anything related to, you know, and you so you start putting the dots together, but the teacher only sees one version of the of the of that picture. And so that's where we become disconnected. And I always use this phrase, expectations lead to disappointment. So I think sometimes when teachers refer students to us, no matter what our role is. I think they have an expectation of what should happen or what is going to happen. And then when you do something that doesn't meet that narrative, then all of a sudden you're kid centered, you're unsupportive. You know, that's why I said then they're disappointed in some way. You ever experienced that, Mark? Yeah, yeah, I think inevitably you do. But I, I've also experienced the frustration of being a teacher. You know, you've done that too, of, of being the one that's, it's like, and we've done a thing in the past, which if kids watch this, it'll give it away, but it's called Top Performer with T-O-P. It's like a card I give the teachers. Okay. And so they give the kids that, hey, you're a top performer, go see Mr. Nice. Well, what that means is that T-O-P means timeout, please. The teacher's like, I just need a break from this child for a few minutes. And so they'll send them to here. And I'm like, oh, you're a top performer. Your teacher's seen great things in you. I said, man, go back and keep doing it. And, and then they said they, they may go back after about five, 10 minutes. And so it's it's kind of like when teachers know they too can get a break at times, it it it, it kind of helps uh, work in that situation. But yeah, I've been that teacher too. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I I, I just need a few minutes. And this kid, one kid can be so disruptive. Uh, and a lot of times it's just, 
how do I manage a class with this one child here? And, and it is, it's frustrating from both ends, but the idea that one or two things are going to fix it, that, that just, you know, doesn't naturally happen. Well, but what I love what you just shared, Mark, is, is a simple, but yet effective, effective strategy. That's right. A strategy, because unfortunately, as I've said, we all need a break. You know, sometimes we need a break from our kids. Sometimes we just need a break. And sometimes we just need to, to, to empty our bladder and need a break, right? There's all kinds of breaks that we need in education that people in other worlds do not even close to understand, right? But what I love that you just supplied for us is, is a simple strategy that can allow a student to temporarily just go take a break, but with the connotation of, of the top, having the understanding of, for them, they perceive it as the top performer when realistically it is just a break card, but the way that, you know, you spun it in the way that it is perceived because perception is reality, then that student doesn't leave on a negative note. It leaves on a positive because unfortunately, I think in the area of exclusion at times, we're like, I need a break. You know what? Just go see Mr. Nice, you know? And, and, and what I have tried to educate them to understanding is when you belonging, for example, Mark, under Maslow's, if, if you continue to say, go see Mr. Nice, go see Mr. Nice, whether you meet it or not, you are sending a message like, hey, you don't belong here unless you can really act right or do these things. And that's why I try to tell them. I think at some point, kids don't have to be told you're, you're not wanted in here right? Or, you know, I need a break from you. They don't have to be said that it's inferred. And even though they struggle in inferencing, they really pick up on that one really quick. Oh, yeah. So I'm so glad that you shared a strategy for our listeners that can find a way to get a break and still use it in a very healthy format so that it doesn't damage the relationship. And then allows you to be able to support the teacher. With, like I said, Mark, because top expectations, there is an expectation behind it. And so with that, you know how to deal. So the hardest part is you mentioned earlier too, when I, when I first got to the elementary mark, I didn't know some teachers wanted me to use my manly voice and just like, you know, sternly talk to a student. I didn't know if sometimes they wanted me to, you know, just use my energy as a male. Have you made one cry? Like okay. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's crying. Okay. So two quick ones. The first time, the first time I was walking, it was like one of those first days on the job and I'm walking around the building and they were like walking kids in in the morning and it was some kindergartners, you know, they're little. And I, Mark, I had not seen little kids like this, like consecutively in such a long time. It was almost like going to the zoo. Like I just caught myself like in this National Geographic mode of like, oh my God, look at all these kids and little pigtails and little backpacks, right? And so she was walking the kids in. And as she was walking in, Mark, there were two little boys. There were little toots at the end, you know, because, you know, as much as we like to tell them, we have back eyes in the back of her head. She, <laughs> she didn't see everything. And so as she was moving him in, I saw the two boys acting up and I thought this is a good opportunity for me to just support her. So I've just come from the high school, Mark. And so my approach may have been a little off. Right. But I see the two boys acting up. And so I went over there and I was like, boys, hey, hey, come here right here. And this, and then the teacher comes running over, Mark, like mama bear. And she's like, Mr. Curtis, what's going on? I'm like, well, they're just acting up and not getting it. And she was like, 
it's okay. I got it. But I, I you can almost see it. Like I mean, I cried by just like raising my voice like that, Mark. Like it did. It didn't take nothing. So I, I see you laughing. We yeah, yeah, we must yeah, have yeah. a story. There's nothing worse than the counselor making kids cry. That's horrible. <laughs> right? You're like, wait, are, are am I supposed to? Do, I'm supposed to support them when they're crying. Oh goodness, yes. It just because I'm like, okay, what do you do? You're like, it was, it was that. Okay, I've got to calm it a bit, like inside voice back. <laughs> well, <clears throat> when I first got there, the hot my I worked. I just left the high school, right? My coke, my co-worker was a high school counselor and her son was a kindergartner on the campus that I was at. So high school counselor, Mark, her son's up in the, ends up in the office and I call her and I'm like, Hey, your son's in here. And I, Mark, it was very kindergartner. Didn't do anything very significant. Right. And so this is Mark, this is hilarious. She was like, okay, here's what I need you to do, Kevin. I'm like, how do, what do I do? Like he's five. Right. Like what? I don't, I don't want to break him. I don't even want. And she's like, okay, so I want you to do this. And this is no Joe Mark. And this is what she said. I want you to make him cry. And I was like, on purpose. And she was like, she goes, but put me on the speakerphone. I want to be able to hear this. And I was like, well, and in my mind, Mark, this is crazy. Right. Cause I'm like, we don't get taught how to make kids cry. Right. And that's not something natural, but this is, but this is mom. And she's also a friend of mine. So she's the high school counselor. This is what you want me to do to this kid. And she was like, yeah. And I said, are you sure? And she's like, absolutely. I'm like, okay. So I'm, I'm like, I'm perplexed, Mark. I'm like, I got to go make this kid cry. But how do you, you know, I want to keep my job. I don't want to like this. So he's literally sitting, Mark, in a chair, a wooden chair that has like arms on it. And it's, you know, it's not a rolly chair and he's, and his feet are dangling. So he's just kind of like sitting and looking in my office, you know, he's not real, he's just kind of looking around and he knows I was on the phone with his mom. And I go over there and all I could think of, Mark, is I get down on a knee right in front of him because we want to be at their eye level, right? And I grabbed the arms of the chairs and all I did was grab the arms and I said, hey, look at me. And when I looked at me, man, he just immediately, eyes just paused and he froze, right? And I was like, I, you know, I don't know why you're down here, but you know what? You shouldn't be in here. And I just kind of lectured him, right? And he just, Ooh. And so when I got done, Mark, I literally got on the phone. I'm like, how'd I do? And she was like, that was fantastic. That's all I need. I'll take care of the rest. And I was like, thank you. And, oh, I was like, and then as soon as I got the phone, I was like, hey, all right, come on, Matt. Let's go back to class, right? And so I, it was just, oh my God, the dynamics of all of that, Mark, was a little over, overwhelming and daunting, particularly for a new person in that, that, that space. It, it was overwhelming to try to figure out and juggle all those emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, you okay? You got to give me a story or something, Mark. I can't be all the one. This is sharing. What do you, you you got something to listen to? Well, it's kind of like because because the last couple of years, like we we stopped doing um, corporal, corporal punishment. I go, I, I have to think because I'm like I want to make sure I don't get corporal and capital punishment mixed up when <laughs> yes, talking yes, with yes. students. So we we used to speak, but I, I was like the go in like the extra person, and so. You know, and, and so if they get a paddle and I'm in there and sometimes I'll be like, okay, look at me, you know, hold your hands right here, do something in there. So then I was walking around and I went in to talk to their kid and they just started, I don't want to spank it. I don't want to spank it. I'm like, I don't spank. <laughs> and so, so then everybody was like, oh, great. There, it's the counselor again that you, you know, you don't want to 
to be like, oh great, now I'm known as the the guy that that's that's fake. So just all those with with you know, with little children, they're so impressionable. But they always like they're still even after you talk to them in a way that change, you know, like okay, and they go apart, they still are willing to give you a hug. And and that's what I love about the, you know, how precious and how we need to treat them because. They're, they're very, in a high school, you're not going to get that. You get lots of nice yeah. language, maybe if you arm finger gestures or something. But uh, it's very, very real of, of the influence. And and I want to be honest about the influence of a man on campus. We have watchdog dads, but we haven't been able to do those things this year. But just having men present makes a drastic difference with what our kids do. I agree with you. And, and of course, we, we've had dads when it was safe pre-pandemic to be able to have them on campus. But I, you know, I'm in a, a, a men in education group on Facebook with Hal Bowman. And the reason he created it is because he said, I believe as men in education, we can be just as influential as we need to be if we can start to point our ship in the right direction. In other words, we start to recognize our purpose as a male in education because it is a predominantly female role traditionally. But at the end of the day, I also noticed, Mark, like you said, not only you know men, men of color, but particularly men at the elementary, because for one thing that you you've alluded to, and I didn't quite get this, is you are you are a flipping rock star at the elementary. I've never had more hugs and high fives and yeah, smiles. I, like if you're having a bad day, just go like hang with the kids because they will make you they will uplift you and make you feel like you are a million bucks. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a blessing. It's a joy. But then I go to the high school, like you said, and they're like, "Hey, get out of my effing face! Hey, move out of the way!" He said, "What you know? You're just like, but and I'm like, what happened? What changed you from there, where you loved and high fived and hugged us, yeah. to now like get away from me? You know, don't talk to me. You're my personal space. It's none of your business. Give me my phone back. You know, it's our our conversations are completely two different dynamics, and if we're not intentional." particularly at the secondary level, Mark, they, 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 and this is my perception, they believe, they start to believe, I'm going to phrase this right, they start to believe that because of the structure of the system that is very highly content related at the secondary level, more than it is about the connections, or at the elementary, it's more about the connections than the content, then we get shaped and formed that you're not here to build a relationship with me, you're here to deliver content. But then I did have a student say, if you don't connect with me, why should I content with you? Because then I can, I can always go home and look up all the answers to any of the stuff that you're teaching me today, right. the right. technology. And so we're in this huge dynamic shift, Mark, where if we don't start to reintroduce and reemphasize relationships to the center of learning, then learning is, 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 is just going to be the same thing we've always wanted to, but it's not fitting the same definition of what kids need today. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Now, you know, I just finished my doctor recently. So the, the research I did was on a mentor program that we started here at the elementary. And it's just based upon bringing adults in to form relationships with kids. But we talk about that same thing. Uh, what, some of the, the research I looked at was there's Myers-Briggs personalities. It's the kid that's like, if I don't like you, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do your work. Like I'm willing to fail if I don't have a relationship with you. And and I that, you know, I didn't understand that before. But when you look at the person, like they're connected. They're like that the one that that longs for for meaningful relationships. So, uh, like you say, if we if it's just the same, where's your work? 
put your paper in, do those types of things, they can find that information. And they, you know, it's like, what? And I kind of ask the question, why do we need spelling in a sense? I don't, I taught English, so don't, you know, like all those English teachers are like, what? But it's like, we spend so much time on something that they can, I, I'm the one where like, write down what you're thinking, we'll edit it later so that we can just get content and ideas. And we've moved, kind of shifting, I think, into the, okay, what are we going to, what's education going to become? The pandemic has kind of forced that with Zoom and everything. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but but it, it is just everybody kind of wondering, what, you know, what's what's the need for this? What's the need for college? What's it? So there's a lot of open area for people to, to pursue that. Um, and the relationship part for me is just, it's just vital because that's what, from, from everyone I know in the job market, that's what, like, we need kids who can get along. We need kids who can follow the right. We need someone who can have, you know, can understand and, and not, I'm not going to, they're not going to get options. They're not going to, I'm not going to say, well, would you rather do, it's like, they need to do what we ask them to do. And that seems to me that the thing where we're lacking is the relationship. We've taken that out because we post for so much content. So now I think we're kind of rethinking, like you said, what is education going to be and look like? There's good TED Talks about, about this. And there's, so it's, there's one that was talking about, um, gosh, I wish I could remember that saying, they're talking about, he, they did an experiment of kids gaming and it's like, they did gaming. And if you, had, if you achieved it in so many tries without them taking away points versus you achieved it and they took away five points every time you didn't, then the amount of attempts on the other side were greater because they didn't fear a grade much like we give now. And, and it's like our kids, it's instead of learning content, like, is this on the test? And so we're transitioning, but where are we going to transition to, I think is the question. No, I, I think what you just, that, first of all, wow, that was powerful. Thank you. No, I think, I think what you just ended with that question, that's the question mark, right, Mark? And what I feel that I want to do is try to provide some type of foundation at the end of that statement. In other words, when Scum School said, what are we going to do? I'm like, hey, how about if we were able to put relationships at the center of all learning? But so that means whether you're learning social emotionally, content, second languages, esports, like anything, right? It doesn't matter what you're building, what you're, but if we build that school on that rock of relationships, because we've taken so many just initiatives, which are just big binders, you know, throwing money at things and, you know, yeah. and at the end of the day, Mark, those to me are like the sands and they, it, it, it just, they stick around for a year or two. We do a trainer of trainers and lack of support. And then they wait out the administration and then we're on to the next initiative, right? Like that's, that seems to be the pattern of leading schools for such an extended period of time. And so I'm encouraged by the things that you identified, the pandemic, online learning, not necessarily everybody going through the exact same college route door, um, that students can use technology to be able to research, spell, look up some of the things that we were taught as mandatory pieces of curriculum. But I believe that in order for us to truly reshape education to kind of do this, it really has to, we just have to address accountability. And when I say that, in other words, you know, if accountability for standardized scores and, and, and the state test, and, and like you said, if it's gonna be on the test, until we change that pathway, because what's interesting, Mark, is there's no accountability for connections. There's no relationship report. So when you did your doctorate, what were, when you did that, 
you mentioned one powerful, but was there any other takeaways that you kind of started to notice about maybe what could be restructured in education based on your doctorate in, in, in your, you know, your dissertation, your experience? I think for me, it's recognizing location because I, st I started with this working in Hershey was Bedford and then ended up finishing here in, in Bowie where we've lived for, for 18 years now is we're, we're kind of hitting that same one piece, you know, one piece fits all versus, okay, in, in our area where we need people welding and working, you know, and ranches and, and, and all, that there's a different need. And we're trying to, to kind of look and say, well, what is it that I like local control, but at the same time, my personal belief is, is oftentimes kids may be overlooked in that if we're not careful without, without the state assessment, but it's like, what are we assessing? Uh, and so it helped me a lot being with other, with other people going through the program who were like, hey, these are the needs that we see, which may be totally different than what we need in Bowie. And, and the struggle of rural areas trying to, you know, I don't really want Austin telling me what we should teach. I would prefer for, you know, and I don't think they want us, you know, but it's, there seems to be a, a kind of a, a control battle, it seems, on who's going to set those standards and what direction it's going to go. And, and different people are involved with different perspectives, wanting to push theirs, I guess, again, out to other people. And, and, and to me, it's, I wish it could go back to a little bit more local control where we could set the standards for what we want taught when and how. Um, and Texas, I think, is pretty good for that. But trying to look at a state level on assessment, like you said, uh, there are some good things from that where we really had to focus on, on, on students that maybe we didn't focus on before. But I think it's at the extent of my kid is incredibly academic. And so there's less, you know, oh, he's going to pass the test. So it's kind of like he's left alone rather than pursuing those things which are, are going to help him move into some places he wants to be. It's hard, it's hard to see, you know, to me, what the level of where you are what does each community need to do to see them go where they want them to go? Well, so that's a perfect segue because what my philosophy has become over the years is why are we not taking a differentiated approach versus the holistic box approach, right? Because, you know, when schools ask us to come in and implement restorative practices or relational practices, you know, the first we do say, Mark, is so what do you have on your system plate? You know, are you MTSS? Are you PBIS, right? Are you SEL? Are you, where are you at academically? Or, you know, we, have, because, and what do you want to use your vocabulary? Like our approach is we're always about differentiation. And so I think you beautifully described it is the structure there are, and I am not anti-test and I am not anti-standardized tester. I'm just saying that we're, we've shifted so heavily on that model that you've pointed out that it has not really given us a lot of permission to restructure away from that. And as you said, if you're in the large school district and you're waiting for Austin ISD, if you're waiting for Sci Fair, if you're waiting for Dallas ISD, if you, you know, if you're waiting for those larger school districts to kind of set the standard and then use the trickle effect out into the, you know, the rural communities to say, oh, that's what this district is doing then we're going to be stuck for a long time just for the fact that we, 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 we really need to reevaluate the model of education in itself because there are, as you said, some pros coming out of this, identifying, you know, particularly academic needs of certain subpopulations or different, you know, students allowed us for the first time to dig deeper academically. But I don't think we, we had the foresight to realize 
but we're pushing further away from any type of connections, relationships. And in fact, that test is in, is in going to end up sometimes being the barrier between students and teachers or the barrier between students and being successful in life. Because as you mentioned, there's, they want to go on a different avenue that the state standardized test or that college prep doesn't prepare them for. Like I, I, I joked the other day, just be, you know, being outdoors, Mark, I said, I wish I took seventh grade, like welding or, you know, introduction right, into welding right. in seventh grade. I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I could weld. Like right now, welding, not just as a career is a great, it's, it's, it's something as a great art to have, particularly in your life when you want to be able to build things and do things. And I think there are less welders, there's a less plumbers, there's elect, less electricians and less people that are going to be able to continue to allow our lives in those areas with or without college to allow us to continue to grow, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. I think that's really shifted. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, educators tended to have a positive experience in education, and it, and it's the shit. It, it's set the way they kind of lead and perform, but it's so full of that. It's like those that struggle, kind of, kind of like you say, are shifted over. Uh, those of us who, man, I love sitting down and getting a lecture. You know, it, it's like now we've got a whole generation of kids coming, and they, they can look up anything, like you said. And so it's we we talk about how they, you know, students are less likely to go to their dad about car issues, and and how you know, my influence as a dad needs to be uh, teaching my son these things. Well, now they're kind of move, even moving outside of that. It's like, no, I can just look it up. I'm like, no, 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 we're going to go out to the car together. And my dad, you know, works with my son, you know, showed him all the stuff. But we're kind of moving away from those relationships as well. And to me, it, it does begin in the family. And if you don't have that, some kids don't even have a, a male in their life if they get through elementary school until they're 10 or 11 years old. So, you know, how, how do you, who influences it? And right now, that's the question of, you know, who's going to influence this shift and, and are we going to do it together? Is there going to be, and, and right, I call it the bully mentality. It's usually the loudest, you know, people that, 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 that move the culture. And that isn't necessarily in my way, always the most positive thing. Yeah. It's what do we say? It's the squeaky wheel gets oiled, right? Yeah. If, the, you, if you get, if you go to, you go to central office and get loud enough, something's going to happen. I've seen it happen many a time. So you, you just mentioned a huge word influence. So Mark, being in education and having these different types of career paths and, and even, even you know, you dipping your toes into politics and the things that you've done. So what, what if you could share with other people who would be listening, hopefully, um, what influences you? I mean, is it, I know, because you mentioned you don't have technology and the internet at home. So what, inf no, and I'm being honest. So what, what, what influences Mark Neese? Are you a reader? Are you a podcaster? Are you, you know, what, what other people, what, what, what influences you? You know, uh, working on my doctorate, I think like there were so many things to have to read. And now it's like, wow, there's, there's all this free time. We have a TV at home so we can bring in videos and stuff, but I, I'm, I'm more of an outdoors. I love being outside. We've got horses. We got four, like say the hunting thing and those types of things, fishing or whatever. Those are the, the things I love doing. I would say, you know, my faith has been the biggest guide for me. And so I've got a good group. I've got a, a, a great church influence and a good group of men around me that, that encourage me. We have that iron sharpens iron type thing. Um, because, you know, and, and I've got an 18 year old son who's very, very quick to, <laughs> to let me know, to keep me humble. So, um, but but for me, uh, there's there's some some like just being able to read for pleasure now. There's a great book called Unleader, which basically talks about, you know, the Bible talks more 
hundred times more about serving than it does about leading. And we've kind of got this shift backwards. It's like we should be, yeah, we should be giving seminars on serving instead of on leading. And so it's it's really inspired me to kind of look at things a bit differently. Interesting. Well, you know, I I remember I can't remember when I used the term, and but you know, if somebody said what would be your leadership style, I would be servant. You know, that would be I want to be a servant leader, whether I'm a principal, whether I'm le- leading this organization, whether I'm leading my community, I would like to serve others by example, right? Christ-like example. And so when you say that, I, I for me it resonates. I think uh, you know everybody has different roles and responsibilities when it comes to to leading. But, um, but no, Mark, I think the, the opportunity for you to have different lenses and to see life differently has probably, in my opinion, as I hear your stories and I just kind of get to know you today, it has allowed me to realize like your different lenses allow you to come up with your modern day perspective from your 19 year old to the kids walking in your office, right? From how you want, how you choose to live your personal life outdoors instead of indoors, you know, not connected and tethered to a device versus the, 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 the modernized person that has to look at their phone every so often, you know, and use it for everything. So I, I just really appreciate your point of view. I think it's very unique, Mark, to be very honest with you. I think there's, I don't meet many people that have allowed themselves to, whether it was intentionally or accidentally, be shaped in this form so that you can see the perspective of both sides. I, I've really appreciated the conversation. We, we laugh. My, my wife still has a flip phone. Like she does, you know, she, I, I'm on Facebook, but she's on nothing. I mean, we're, we're, but people make sure that we're okay. But they once said that's child abuse for your son. Like, you know, he had, we have access, you know, he can, my parent, we're on the same property. We can't really see the other you know, down the street. So if he needs to work on things or do stuff, but it's also good because it keeps him going just to my parents' house. And so, you know, their relationship is important to us and that's kind of, kind of worked out well, but uh, people, people laugh a little bit, but then when they know us, they're like, you know, yeah, we, we would prefer, yeah, like, wow, we wish we were more relaxed and kind of, uh, doing things together as a family and, and enjoying that time. I, I much more would rather be around people that I'm just more with technology. Maybe that's what it's all about. But, uh, my wife says if we were born in the wrong century, the 1800s would have been pretty good. For us. Oh my gosh. Well, I would tell you this, Mark, whether, whether it's just a, an actual avoidance because um, you're just not proficient with it or whatever, I do believe as most others, most others like me who have used technology and have a studio set up and have a phone sitting in front of me and will probably answer lots of emails and stream a show today or something, you know, at the end of the day, I do think there is something that we, we, we yearn for that you are describing because what you're describing of your son, being able to go see your parents in proximity, being able to do enjoy things together, families and outdoors, you know, I know people think of it as like, oh, that's the way things used to be, or, you know, that's how people used to grow up. But I don't think it means that we would have to, it, it just because that's the way we grew up doesn't mean we have to give it up. And I think that's what I've really learned to appreciate about you, Mark, is, is you are such a genuine and kind person and but yet not only compassionate, but yet a realist to understand like, 
hey, Kevin, I may not get this right for this podcast today. I'm just, just, just to get me on here today was, was, was God gave us a little miracle, right? He lined up with the microphone and everything else. But at the end of the day, Mark, I just think who you are and what you, and how you perceive life and how you live life has really given a different perspective. And, and to be honest, even for me, just the, the impactful conversation I've had, I'm hoping that our listeners will take away maybe just you know some things. So, so Mark, it's just some closing words before we end the show. What are some of the things that you have this platform, you and I both love to talk, but what are some of the things you hope people would take away from the conversation that we're having today? Uh, you know, I, th- I think some of the key things is uh, the, the idea that education is just academics. I mean, it's, it's kids also learn. Sometimes parents, I think, just push it off. Like, I just want to encourage parents to take charge of their kids' learning uh, for everything. And for those that are, you know, there's a lot of single parents now. It's like they're trying to work and trying to do. But just to know that at least, at least what I can say from, from my perspective of anywhere I've been, educators love your kids. You know, they, they do. And it may sometimes not feel like it or seem like it. But I would just encourage parents to to develop those relationships as well. Sometimes it's hard to call or hard to, to check in on things. But I appreciate when a parent, and I guess because it's small town too, when a parent will call in and say, hey, I'm just here to check up on you. How are you doing? And, and, and those are the relationships that I think are missing most vital. It's, if, if we didn't have them at school, we tend to have a negative view of school. And so our role is to try as educators is to try and encourage relationships. And that doesn't mean by any means not, not strive for academics or strive for excellence in anything they're doing. But just that piece seems to be missing for me. And I would just encourage parents to pursue that and look at ways to develop that within their kids and within the school community. Absolutely, Mark. Well, hey, man, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, great, I, yeah, I, I obviously, uh, you know, thank uh, Dr. Dars for introducing us and giving the did opportunity. Did you like how we met, like the, how we met or anything? No. So <laughs> go ahead, fill in the blanks. I, I've got to tell you this because yeah. if you know her, this she. Uh, I went to. I had, had moved to out, out in the country. We live way out of the country, and so I had went to apply to be the assistant principal in Decatur. And she was currently an assistant principal. And when I came for the interview, it was on hold because she was out trying to round up goats that had escaped from the ag barn. So we met, and we're out there trying to corral these goats. So we just laughed because you know, having worked in the Metroplex for so long, I was just like, nobody is going to believe this story that I'm out herding goats. I interviewed that. No, wow, I'm going to have to ask her about that one. But she's like my school wife. I, she, she, they're they're amazing. Uh, great experiences and blessing that she brought us together. I really appreciate that. Oh no, no. I, I first of all, the fact that she has a pig and that she lives with a pig, right? You know what I mean? And then she's hurting goats, Opal. Opal the pig, shout out to Opal the pig. But yes, I think we're going to need to have, I think we're going to have to have Cassandra on the show one time and, uh, and just have her share her experiences. She's such a unique person too. She's awesome. No, Mark, but I will tell you, I love resonating with people who are different than me, that people see different perspectives. But what's interesting is as I meet all of these people on this show, we're all cut from the same cloth, Mark. And the reason I say that is, is we're all recognizing where our strengths are, how we've created this systematic approach around whether it's our home or whether it's around our school, we have found ways to be successful. And typically 
by kind of cutting against the grain and saying, hey, well, you know, I'm not afraid to give my head a kid a hug when he first comes in to just let them know, connect before we even say anything. And sometimes that hug. And what I've learned and appreciated about the guest, Mark, is, is that it's this what I listen and I learn is it ends up, and I'm being very honest here, it ends up reshaping me. Like a little, and the reason I say this, Mark, is, and I'm going to thank you today for today, like the DNA of who I am continues to just be remolded slowly and, and, and smallly in small pieces by the conversations, by the, the little tips and tools and ideas, but more about the conversations and really just resonating with how people are and who they are. And I, I think in the pandemic, as you said, the only positive that I've really, not the only, but one of the large positive things that have come out of it is, is I created this because I couldn't travel so that I could continue to connect with people and, and do this in a way that hopefully would bring a voice, you know, and a choice to say, how do we put relationships back at the center of learning when schools are kind of shifting in, in different directions? And so I just want to thank you for the conversation today, Mark. You are, you're such a genuine and compassionate person, man. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great, great. Thank you for the opportunity, Kevin. It was awesome, man. Absolutely. We'll actually meet you someday, brother. Oh, absolutely. No, we will definitely make that happen when it's safe. And, and you, it sounds like you have enough outdoor space that I, I would be highly encouraged to want to come visit. So no, so I'm thoroughly going to do that. So for us, all I'm going to say, Mark, is if you, um, we are actually having a virtual conference coming up July 13th and 14th. I don't even know if you know this. No. So July 13th, in July 14th, and it's only from like nine to two, it's not all day, we're going to have a virtual conference. And we're going to have uh, Hal Bowman's going to be a keynote speaker, we're going to have 45 minute breakout sessions. But it's we're literally looking for speakers. And we're looking for people to, to join us on that day to talk about and the platform is the RCO conference, but relationship centered learning, but it's about restorative practices, trauma informed practices, you know, relational practices, you know, social emotional learning, any of those foundational skill sets that we believe educators need to hear about, we are setting that up for in a two-day conference. We're actually even doing an award ceremony on day two, on the 14th in the morning, we're awarding some educators and they don't even know it. Oh, and so that. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love so, that. and we didn't want to make it all day. So, you know, getting, coming in from like nine to two and, you know, not eating your entire day and doing 45 minute breakout sessions, we figured this is just going to be a strong format. So, you know, we've postponed our in-person conference till February, 2022, but just share with your educators. If you know of anyone, July 13th to 14th, it's going to be a great opportunity. And for you, along with anyone else, you can, you can follow this episode and learn more about the conference at our website. It's is a uh, www.rclfirst.com. So RCL first spelled out RCL first.com. That's where this episode eventually will be hosted. And then up there, you can either, we have weekly circles. So Denise actually does a weekly educator circle Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So people that just want to come and I, I, to me, to be honest with you, it's, it's just, it's just community. It's almost like, a, it's like, a, you know, we're just showing up to build community. 
there is no agenda. You don't have to know anything about the tools. You just show up to build community and get a chance to know each other. And so we have educators from Great Britain to Canada to the United States all joining us. And so Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And then we have a Facebook group called Relationship Centered Learning. And then we, uh, then we have the conference. And so there's a variety of different ways for you and those people that you say, hey, check us out. Point them in that direction, Mark, over to rclfirst.com, and then they'll kind of get to know who we are and what we are. And then this episode, when it's released, Mark, you'll get an email and you'll get told it's being released. So everybody will get a chance to know, just hear Mark's voice. And, and you know, even though you'll have to figure out how to listen to it, I'll have to teach you how to listen to <laughs> I've it. I've got a good assistant principal that helps me out all the time. Okay, we'll reach out to her. But hey, Mark, thank you for your time. I'm going to let you get back. But hey, thank man. Thank you so much, brother. Absolutely, man. Enjoy your day. I'll talk to you hey, soon. I love you, man. Thanks so much. Take care. Appreciate it.